Amen. Let's clap to our God today. Good morning, church. How you doing? You guys go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to uh, the early service. Happy spring break. Happy spring forward lose an hour of sleep Sunday. Are you glad to be here? We're glad you're here. You guys made it to the early service. I see some, many of you are. Some of you are still struggling a little bit. Drink some coffee. We are excited that you are here with us as we continue in our series called The Comeback as we're looking into Joseph's life's story. Last week, we kind of talked about uh, this whole idea of a grateful heart over a grumbling heart. And I'm just curious. I'm just curious. For those of you who are here, you knew kind of what we talked about. You went into this week. How'd you do this week? Did you do better? Did you notice yourself if you struggled with it? I know that I struggle with it. And, uh, you know, something happened this week. Hope, my wife, came home from a hard day's work, uh, working with the children at uh, Eagle Mountain Elementary. And I was sitting there. She comes in, and she's, we were talking about her day. And she said this. She said, you know what? She said, I realized this in light of the message from last Sunday. She said, she said I realized this, that, that whenever I'm not complaining, I'm a lot happier. And, you know, at that moment, the filter is supposed to kick in for us, right? And for me. And at that moment, instead of not saying anything, I decided to say, you know what I've realized? I'm also a lot happier when you're not complaining as well. Yeah, that got me the look, but we've had fun with it. We've had fun with it, but uh, we're in this series called The Comeback, looking into Joseph's life. And so turn with me to Genesis chapter 42, and as we have been learning, his life story in the book of Genesis covers so much of what we deal with on a very regular basis. It deals with, and we're certainly going to see that today, as we're in chapter 42, we'll actually read the very last verse of of chapter 41, but his life is so relevant to us. And that's why there's so much of his life that is recorded in the book of Genesis more than any of the other patriarchs. We hear so much about Joseph's life, and I'm so thankful for that. And, and you know, as I was preparing this week, and I've shared with a few of you, I, I really uh, struggled a little bit this week. And as I was talking with Randy, and he's going to be speaking next week about something very important, he was struggling, and we kind of collaborated together and realized this, that God's wanting us to slow down a little bit in the these particular chapters that we're in, and I was really struggling because I was going to try to pack a lot of stuff in for you today, and I realized that that wasn't what God wanted me to do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to slow down a little bit, and we're going to do a little mini-series inside the series, and here's what the mini-series is inside the comeback series is when the fun in dysfunction really begins, Okay, when the fun and dysfunction within your family, maybe you have dysfunctional uh, family history or whatever. I mean, and here's the deal. If you do, that's fine. We all have something that we that that, you know, that that maybe you can look back on and say, man, that was messed up. Or maybe it wasn't necessarily your immediate family. Maybe it was a church family that you were a part of, or maybe it was some, a place where you worked. Okay, but when the when the fun and dysfunction really begins, in other words, when it just kind of shows back up. Up and maybe you thought you were past some stuff. Maybe you thought you were through some things. And I realized this week as I was getting ready for this that God was still dealing with me about some things that were in my heart. And so let's begin in this. Back in 1882, a New York City businessman by the name of Joseph Richardson, he owned a narrow strip of land 
uh, on Lexington Avenue there in New York City. And when I say narrow, I am talking narrow. This plot of land that he owned that was on Lexington Avenue was five feet wide and 104 feet long, okay? It was five feet in depth, so really thin. I mean, when I'm talking really skinny here, he owned this piece of property, and it was right there on this very valuable, uh, valuable piece of property. And the problem was this, is that there was another businessman named Hyman Sarner who owned another, an adjacent piece of property that was directly behind that, and so he had no direct access to Lexington Avenue. How this ended up like this, I don't know, but this is the way it was. Five feet wide, 104 feet long. Think about what, what can you do with a piece of property like that? So Sarner goes to Richardson and, and, and makes an offer on the land because he wants to build a four-story uh, apartment complex that he's wanting to uh, you know, invest in and turn into a business there. And so he goes to Richardson and wants to buy that skinny piece of property and just absorb it all in. And so he goes to him and he knocks on the door and he offers him $1,000 for that that really just pointless piece of property. But Richardson is offended by this, and he feels like it's a low-ball offer, and he says, I will take no less than $5,000 for these, this piece of property. And, and, and so Sarner kind of scoffs at that and laughs at that, and they try to haggle a little bit. And the next thing you know, uh, Richardson slams the door in his face, calls him a tightwad, slams the door in his face, and the feud begins between these two. Richardson or Sarner assumed that the lot would remain vacant, that he'd really, that Richardson would never be able to do anything with that piece of property. And so he went ahead and instructed his architect to design the four-story apartment building with windows that would be overlooking Lexington Avenue. He was going to figure out some other kind of way to gain access to uh, Lexington Avenue there. Well, when Richardson heard that he was going ahead with this project and was going to build this four-story building, apartment building, with the windows looking out over him, he resolved at that point that he would block the view and that nobody was going to get or enjoy a free view over his lot, especially not his nemesis, Sarner. And so he went ahead at 70 years of age, Richardson was 70 years old, and on that slender piece of property, decided to go ahead and build a house that was five feet in depth and was a hundred feet long. Okay, now now there is a, there are some houses that have been built like this. All right, here's one of them uh, is up in Washington State. Looks all normal from the front, right? But then when you go to the profile, that's what you got right there. Okay, so you get a little bit of a of an idea. That's actually is a hundred feet long and five feet wide as well. Now the only difference with that one and the one that Richardson built is that the one Richardson built was four stories high. He wanted to block Sarner's view. And so he built this tall, skinny house. Uh, and he and his wife moved in to live in that house when he was 70 years old. They lived there till he was 84 years old whenever he finally died. Now, you need to, you need to think about what it would be like to live in that kind of house, right? Five feet wide, four stories high, 
And, and it's so interesting whenever you look at this, the uncomfortable living conditions that he, that he put upon himself and upon his wife to live in this, they could not pass, two people could not pass through one hallway. You had to wait for someone to go by. You, it, two people could not go up and down the stairs. The largest table that they had in their house was only able to be 18 inches wide. That's the largest at a table. The furniture that he had to have built was, was very expensive because of how it was custom made. And, and, and the, the new, there was a newspaper reporter that when he saw all this going on, he went there and because he was maybe a, a larger man, we'll say a man of girth, he got stuck in the stairwell uh, and had to have someone push him through there. And uh, neighbors dubbed this house the Spite House. That's what they called it. Not the White House. They dubbed it the Spite House. Richardson spent the last 14 years of his life in an uncomfortable, narrow uh, kind of existence which really seemed to kind of fit his personality, honestly. Well, here's my question for you this morning. Have you ever visited the Spite House? Have you ever stayed in the Spite House? There's been, uh, I, I look back on my life a little bit, and I, I think that maybe I've stayed there a few nights before. Anybody ever been in the Spite House? I might have seen a, a, some of you whenever we were there. We couldn't pass through the hallway, right? But I've been in the Spite House before. I've spent some time in that uncomfortable kind of place. And, you know, every person on this planet, every person who's in this, in this room here this morning and will be in all three of our services today, we all have letdowns, we all have hurts, we have disappointments, we have offenses that others have, have offended us in some kind of way to, to honestly, let's just say it this way, to justify the construction of your own spite house right? You, 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 we have these, these justifications for it. We've all been hurt. Someone's done something to you. Someone's hurt you in some kind of way. That's not what the Bible will dispute in any kind of way, neither will I, because I've experienced some of that myself, right? We all have. Everybody goes through that. We all can, can hold on to grudges, we all can hold on to resentments in our house that will dictate and direct how we live our life going forward. In a lot of ways, we don't even realize that that is the case, right? There's no page in the Bible that questions whether or not you've been hurt by somebody or that you've gone through that kind of experience or you've been mistreated. That's not what's in question. Uh, but there are so many biblical passages that, that if, if you read the Bible, if you're in God's word, you know there are so many passages that challenge us to release our resentments, to, to move out of the spite house, to get out of that place that's, that truly is, is more uncomfortable for you than it is than for those who are around you. And to release those resentments, though, requires a trusting in God and a trusting in his process that God is the one who is just and he brings about justice in his perfect timing. Psalms 37 says this, and I just really believe is just, I'm gonna show you a few passages before we get into Genesis. 
just of some of the kinds of scriptures that I'm talking about. I mean, just read God's word. You're gonna see over and over again, God's gonna say, release this, trust me, I'll set things right. I'm the one that's in charge here. And when you try to do it yourself, that's when we end up living in the spite house, right? But look at this passage. The psalmist writes this. He says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently, what does it say next? For him to act. Wait for God to act. We can spend so much time and energy where we are just emotionally and spiritually exhausted running things through our mind about the offenses and how we want to make those things, set those things straight or maybe seek revenge or, or we hold on to and rehearse those tapes in our mind, maybe the conversation that was had that hurt us or whatever, right? And, and look at what he says. He says, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret, don't fret about their wicked schemes. Now, this is big, and this is what some of us really need to hear. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to, what does he say? Harm. And who is the harm mostly it's done to? It's, it's in our own lives. We experience that, right? When you're in the spite house. You're the uncomfortable one. If you're the one that's living there, resentment has its way of locking us into this lonely, miserable, narrow kind of existence, doesn't it? It has this way of impacting us and where you reside in your own self-constructed spite house. And that leads to that uncomfortable kind of existence, a miserable kind of existence, often a lonely kind of existence Right, And God desires so much for us not to live that kind of constricted life. God does not want us to live that kind of confinement in our life. He's, he's, he's come to make us free, as we're going to read a little bit more uh, in, in later in the message. Okay, So Scripture warns us about bitterness. It warns us to be on the watch for that in our life because it so easily can creep in and take over before you know it. In fact, the book of Hebrews says this, and I, I'm going to read it to you in the message, uh, the way that Eugene Peterson translates this. He says this, and notice he says, work at getting along with each other. Notice the word work. You notice that. It doesn't just naturally have, You've got to work at it. You've got to cultivate this. Work at getting along with each other uh, and with God. Otherwise, he says, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. That's God's grace. Make sure no one misses the grace of God. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. He's saying you've got to be watching for this because those weeds, and I don't know if you've been experiencing this the way my yard has been, but the weeds just came up out of nowhere all of a sudden, right? And it's like, oh my goodness. And once they start going, it's hard to rein them back in. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's difficult. You've been doing yard work. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden, he says, in no time. The truth is that if we are going to live in fellowship with God, that he desires for us to live with this great kind of existence with him and fellowship with him, an abundant life. He says, I've come to give you that kind of life. Jesus came to provide that. God wants us to move out of the spite house then. You can't live in the spite house 
and have that kind of fullness of a relationship with God. Uh, that means this, though, that if you're going to move out of the spite house, you're going to have to deal with some baggage. You're going to have to deal with some things that, uh, that maybe were a catalyst to what led you to that place. And that's a difficult thing for us. A lot of times we've sometimes even put it out of our mind, out of sight, out of mind, and we've, maybe we've thought we've dealt with some of these things, but then before you know it, uh, these things just reemerge. They show up on the scene, as we're going to see in Joseph's life here. And then, before you know it, you are held hostage to your hurts. You're in this kind of place where you're in this spite house and you're held hostage. You've taken some notes. Here's the first thing I encourage you to write down, is to move forward into God's plans for your future, it's necessary to make peace with your past. If you're going to move into the places that God has for you and he does have a plan for you, he does have purpose for you, he wants the best for you, then it's going to be necessary to allow him to begin to deal with some things that are in your past that maybe you haven't dealt with yet, especially those ancient things, especially those things that we can suppress, those hidden wounds of our life. And God's desire is for you to be free of that. His desire is for you to bring, to, to bring healing into your life, to bring freedom to your life. And we often wonder, can he really do that? Or is that just a message that's for somebody else? And I want you to know something today. That is a message that is for you. It's for you. That kind of freedom is not just for somebody else. It's for you. God wants to do this in your life. And, and if you've gone through these kinds of things like, uh, like abuse, and I don't say that lightly in any kind of way, but there's maybe been abuse in your life or betrayal or rejection or abandonment or injustices. Those are injustices, right? Can God heal us of those things? And it's a tough question that a lot of us wrestle with especially whenever it comes to family, when it comes to family. And I knew going into this week, and I've, I've been asking others to pray. I've been asking people to pray for me. I've been, asking, I've been praying for you because I know that whenever you start talking about family, you start talking about those kinds of close hurts like this, that's emotional. It's difficult Whenever you start digging into some of those kinds of things, and I hope you know the desire is not just to make you emotional. Here's the desire. Perhaps it is to stir up something within you that makes you recognize, I've got to deal with this. I haven't dealt with some of these things. I've been suppressing some of these things. Because here's the deal. Uh, when it comes to this, uh, whenever uh, so many people, many of them will miss what God is wanting to do in their life next because they're still being held hostage by their hurts in their history, by the hurts in their past. They can't seem to take that stride forward spiritually. They can't seem to take the next step in depth with God. And many times it's because there's something that hasn't been dealt with. There's some baggage that is, that is there. Here's a second thing to write down. Nothing, nothing will hinder you from fulfilling God's plan like unresolved hurts that can turn into hatred within your heart. 
And it begins to sour and fester and, and it's that infection of bitterness that can settle in within us. And we have to catch this, that dealing with the baggage of our past where forgiveness needs to happen is the one thing that has to be addressed. It is critical for this to be addressed within your life if you're going to move ever move into the destiny that God has for you. It has to be dealt with. You're going to have to face some of the things that maybe you haven't dealt with. We're going to have to dig in uh, into this over the next three weeks. I want to look at today, whenever maybe you're in this stride of life and you're successful and things are going well in life, not saying you don't have difficulties, but, but you're, you're kind of uh, hitting your stride in life and then unresolved hurts suddenly emerge. Have you ever experienced that? Like, where did that come from? Where did that emotion come from? Where did that feeling come from? How did that happen? And I'm already, that I'm feeling this. I want to deal with that today. Uh, and if we've been suppressing those, and, and, and in fact, in some cases, maybe you'll recognize, you might even recognize, you know what? I'm in the spite house. I've been in the spite house for a while. Sometimes I think we can even get used to the spite house, but God has more than, for us than that. God wants so much more in your life than that. And next week, Pastor Randy is going to be dealing with the source of where some of that emerges because we're going to dig in next week into Joseph's father, Jacob. Because that's what the Bible, if you follow this chapter 42 and 43, we're going to look at Joseph here and it shows up in his life and then the next thing you know, we're talking about Jacob. And then the next thing you know, we're looking at his brothers and the interactions there. It's a family mess. It is dysfunctional. And we're going to look at it. It's in there for a reason. We need to dig in and look at it. We need to understand it. And then the next week, I'm going to take us to what the solution is, okay? So here is what I'm really wanting to say to you in this as as we're going to look at the solution, which is forgiveness. And I've preached on forgiveness. The Bible speaks about forgiveness. I don't ever think you can preach enough about forgiveness because it's something that we all seem to battle with. We all seem to grapple with. And how to do that? How do we move out of that place? So it's going to be kind of a three-week process. And that's something I want you to hear today is that this forgiveness and understanding all of this, what I recognized this week and was trying to cram everything into one message is it's impossible because it's often a process. And it takes time. And this passage deserves time. It deserves us unpacking it uh, a little at a time. And, and, and making peace with your past really is a subject that deserves some time. It deserves a little more time because it's so important. And, and, I, and I couldn't make it happen in one Sunday. And so if anybody has a, a right to be angry, to be bitter, to seek revenge, to hold a grudge, it was Joseph. If you've been here, you know his story now. It was this guy. His family put the fun in dysfunction, didn't they? When you look at what happened in his life and you think back of how messed up this guy's family was, it led, it was led out by a dysfunctional father that played favorites, was passive in his leadership, was a manipulator. You'll see all of these kinds of things. And all this led to some deep emotional wounds that were inflicted upon Joseph at the hands of his brothers. And we see this, and so when we look at Joseph, and, and again, just recap quickly of his story, he was thrown in a pit, beaten up by his own brother, so there's physical abuse there. There is physical abuse. 
he overheard them discussing how much they hated him and despised him and were wanting to murder him. I mean, think of the emotional torment. So there's emotional abuse for you. That he's hearing all of this going down, right? But as you know, they sold him into slavery. Their own brother turned their back on him. They effectively walked out of his life. They voted him off the island in his own family, right? Sold him into slavery. There is abuse. There is rejection. There is abandonment. All from his family. All from his family. I mean, it's one thing, right, if it's a stranger... And then it's a whole other thing if it's somebody that's supposed to love you. Somebody that's supposed to to take care of you. His deepest wounds were from those who should have loved him the most. So much for the blood is thicker than water kind of thing, right? For Joseph's family. Because we see that he was sold out and we've been noticing this. And so, I mean, how in the world do you ever recover from something like that? How do you get over that kind of stuff? How do you move through this? How do you move forward in life when you've gone through that kind of mistreatment and that kind of trauma? How do you cope with this? Well, one thing that really dawned on me as I was looking at Joseph this week and and I was getting ready for this was this. Joseph, for several years, didn't cope with it. I don't think he did. I think this. I think Joseph suppressed it. I think he suppressed it for years. A common response, that's a common response to pain and hurt. The only problem is that just when he thought he had buried this, just when he thought he had moved forward, right, and that life was moving on, guess who unexpectedly walks back into his life and all of this emotion all of a sudden just floods into his life. We saw from last week's message that he'd been promoted from the prison to the palace. He's been made a prisoner to the prime minister now. And by the time we turn the page from chapter 41 into chapter 42, he's been in this powerful position of being in charge of all of Egypt as the prime minister of Egypt. And you know how long that's been going on for when, as we're picking up? For nine years. Nine years he has been in this place of power. He's successful now. He's moved on. Life was hard for him in his teens and in his 20s. Lots of pain. And you know that he, as, as he went through the prison experience, as he, as he went through the difficulties there in Egypt for several of those years, here is what I think. I think that every time he went through that pain, he must have thought of his brothers that they were the catalyst, that they were the ones that caused this. He certainly wasn't perfect. As a 17-year-old kid, he made mistakes in how he talked to them. I think there's no doubt about that. But he must have thought about how they were such a catalyst to all the hurt in his life. And you may have a person that whenever I start talking about this, that happens, it comes up in your mind. And you think of the catalyst that they were to a lot of the pain that was in your life and the hurt that's in your life. And you can see, or maybe, it, maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a church family you came out of that there was dysfunction there. Uh, and I'll share more in the coming weeks about some of that, uh, of my own struggle with that and how God revealed that to me in this story and, and how there were things that I had not dealt with. And I, I've been blessed with a wonderful family. We're not perfect, but, but, but I, I, I can't relate completely to some of this kind of stuff because I have a wonderful, I have a wonderful mother and a wonderful father and a great sibling experience as well. But there are other hurts. And you can have a hurt in a church family. And you can have a hurt in, in your, your work family. You know what I mean? We're all going to go through it. But Joseph 
Life's been looking up for him. He's had the run of the country for nine years now. And, and, and everything in life's turned around on a dime for him. He has status now. He has power now. He's overseeing an international famine, which means he has purpose now. Life couldn't be better for Joseph. He's hitting a successful stride. And I got to thinking about this. Isn't it interesting that with all the power that Joseph had at this moment, he had access to armies. He had access to the finest of chariots. Isn't it interesting to think that at any time he desired, he could have gone and made contact with his family. He could have gone anywhere he wanted at any time that he wanted. Pharaoh gave him the run of the country. He was in control of everything. I noticed this. He makes a choice not to make any contact or to go back to Canaan where his family that led him down where they were at. At least I thought, I wonder why he didn't maybe try to communicate with his father. He, he, maybe, you know, if he didn't want to go himself, why didn't he maybe send a message or he could have sent an emissary letting his father know, hey, I'm alive. I'm still out here. I'm still kicking, right? He didn't even do this. And all this time, Joseph chooses to make no contact. Just, I'm just not going to deal with the past. He keeps the family secret a secret. I'm just not going to deal with it. Out of sight, out of mind. If you're writing some notes, here's something to write down. Joseph tried to suppress it, but God forced him to address it. You're going to see that. He tried He tried to suppress this, but God's going to force him into this. He had this great grip on life. But one of the things that he's going to grapple with now is something that I think is so difficult for many of us to grapple with. It is this issue of forgiveness. Now he's going to have to deal with this, right? So back to the sequence of the story, God allows this famine in all of the lands to happen as was predicted within the dreams that Pharaoh had. And God strategically placed Joseph in this place of power after much refining through that 13-year process. Egypt uh, followed his plan of saving grain during the seven years of prosperity. And now they have amassed incredible wealth and, and have all of the grain and all of the land there because they've been wise and follow Joseph's lead. Genesis 41, last verse before we move into 42. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. Life couldn't be better for Joseph, but just when you think you're past, you're past. Look what happens. 42. When Jacob, his father, back in Canaan, you could say, meanwhile, back in Canaan, okay, Heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, and this is one of the funniest verses in the Bible to me, it makes me laugh every time, what, why are you standing around looking at one another? Have you ever said that to uh, your, co- your workers, right? All right, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt, go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. What's wrong with you guys? Go do something, quit looking at each other. We need something to eat. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. So there's a line of people trying to get food, and Joseph is there overseeing all of this. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. Just when you think you're past, you're past. 
You remember in the dream when he was 17 and he said, I have this dream that you guys are going to bow down to me one day. All right, let's look. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. Can we say awkward? Okay. Do you feel that? He recognized them. It's like when you go to your high school reunion. He sees his brothers now. You go to the high school reunion and the bullies now are fat and bald. That's what you see, right? He sees them. He's grown up. He's in this, this place of, of, of power now. They come in. They're dirty from travel. They're gaunt with hunger. They're smelly probably from the road. By the way, they were shepherds. And so, you know, uh, the Egyptians did not like shepherds. They were more metropolitan. They looked down upon these kinds of people. Joseph now is in this palace and he's in finest of clothes. Clean shaven, probably very metro looking, probably has the eye makeup like you see on the Egyptians, right? Clean shaven, slick looking, sophisticated Egyptian. They probably came in looking like a bunch of hillbillies is what I thought, right? They come in, and I wonder if it was kind of like uh, Christmas vacation cousin Eddie shows up, and he notices this, right? They walk in, and I wondered if this would be playing when they walked in. <laughs> that was probably going on as they're walking in, right? The hillbillies are walking in. And Joseph must be thinking, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me when he sees them? It's been, it's been 20 years, right? I've never preached to dueling banjos. That's awesome. <laughs> Joseph sees them. Are you kidding me? And, and now this has got to be, you have to think with me, the perfect well, well, well moment. You know what I mean? Well, 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 I wonder if he did have other background music playing in the palace. Maybe it was this song. What do you think? How do you like me now? How do you like me now? Sing it with me. On my way. <laughs> I was in a country music mood this week, right? All right. It was Joseph's Toby Keith moment. How do you like me now? Wouldn't you agree? Again, y'all know I'm sick, right? When I think of this stuff, Danny this morning said, I I don't know how you come up with some of this stuff that you think of. My brain is warped, I know. But everything had come full circle. Joseph recognized them, but they did not recognize their baby brother. He looked different now. He looked very different. He looked nothing like he did when they had left him in that pit, left him for dead. He's older. He looks like an Egyptian. He speaks the Egyptian language. He's clean shaven. He's in royal robes. He doesn't look like a Hebrew to them. And so they don't recognize him. And, you know, they probably thought he was dead by now. He certainly, they, the last place they expected to see him was in a palace. They sold him into slavery. So in their ignorance, they think that he can't understand them. So they're trying to communicate with him. They're motioning that, hey, we're trying to, we're trying to get food for back home. And they're trying to communicate. And he knows what they're saying, but he doesn't let on, right? And, and maybe one of them at this point opens a bag full of coins. And I wonder if whenever he saw those coins, I wonder if emotion just erupted right there. And I wonder if he thought, I wonder if those are the same coins that you sold me for. And now you're here 
buying food from me? I mean, I just want you to think about this. How this must have been such an emotional moment for him and how his anger must have flared inside as we will see how it just erupts inside of him. These things, this, and it's catching up with his middle-aged heart now. Because isn't that a lot of times whenever this starts happening is you kind of reach that middle-aged stride and then you start realizing, you know, I thought I was past some of this stuff. And it just kind of shows up sometimes when you're not expecting it. Right, And he looks at this, and, and they had sold him to slave traders, and what is he going to do? What's his response? Well, there's common responses to past pain. You can identify with some of these. There's one that some of us, we just are going to say, you know what, I'm going to seek revenge. And we spend an existence trying to make things get even, get, make this, I'm going to get you. I will get you back. I'll pay you back. I'm going to, and, and I wonder, is Joseph going to have them killed? He could have them hanged. He could trump up charges against them. He had all the power now. What's he going to do? Maybe some, here's another common response, just stay in denial. They just stay in denial. I mean, that is exactly where Joseph was living, right? Right next to the river Denial, right? That's right, exactly close to where... You didn't catch... Oh, did you catch that? Or that was just that bad? Sorry. Um, so he's living there, but I wonder if he's just going to suppress it further. I'll just push this down. I'm just... I'm going to stay in denial. I'll just give them some food. I'm not even going to bring this up. They're going to be on their way. I just want them out of my life. And he doesn't deal with it. And he's still in this spite house, right? Even though he's out of prison, a lot of times we lock ourselves back up into a prison. We lock ourselves back into a spite house when we stay in denial. And then, and then there are some that do this, and this is what we're going to see Joseph begins to do. We passive-aggressively play games. We passive-aggressively play games, and he starts messing with them. He's going to play games with these guys through some passive-aggressive actions that we're going to see. So notice what he does. Notice what it says next in verse 7. But he pretended. He pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demands. And I have to say that sometimes, and I've been saying this, sometimes when I read Joseph, and you may feel this, it's almost like he's too good to be true, right? When we've been looking at his story, and sometimes he's hard to relate to because when he's in the pit, then he's in Potiphar's house, he doesn't blow it there. I mean, he's just on track. But you know, this week, what you're going to see is that Joseph was really human. His humanity starts to emerge here. It starts to kick in because here's what you're going to discover is he is not perfect in handling this. He's struggling, he doesn't quite know what to do with all of this. He's dealt with adversity very well up to this point. And now all of a sudden he has power and he has success. And now this has creeped into his life and he's, he's not exactly sure what to do. And so what does he do? Well, he's angry. He's, and, and by the way, we know that that's not sinful in and of itself, right? Okay, to be angry and sin not. But look at what he does. He speaks rough to them. He's angry with them. He's harsh with them. Who are you? What do you want? What are you doing here? Why are you even here? And they say, from the land of Canaan, that's where we're from. We've come to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. 
And he remembered the dreams that he had about them many years before. And you know why that's there? Because God's wanting us to show that God had to take him through a refining process because had he not been refined and humbled, I want you to know something. Something bad would have happened right there. Because now he has all the power. Something bad would have happened. And, he, and, and, and this pride could have crept in, which we know pride ultimately ruins people, right? It ruins us whenever pride creeps in. And he said to them, you're spies. You're spies. You've come to see how valuable our land has become. He's playing games with them. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We're all brothers, members of the same family. Now look at this load. We're honest men, sir. I wonder if in his mind he's going, really? Really? We're not spies. We're honest men. We're good guys. We really are. You are spies, Joseph insisted. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers Sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. The way that translates, one is no more. Whoa. I mean, just think of those words that he's hearing them say. You feel that? Do you feel that pain, that betrayal, that it's just got to be just just erupting within his soul at this moment. I mean, think of the emotions. This is the first report he has heard about his family in 20 years now. 20 years. His father's alive. His baby brother who had no part in this scheme, he's still alive. What's he going to do with all this pain that has suddenly just shown up? He has all the power now. He's handled the adversity. What do you do with this power, right? And Joseph says, I tell you what, I'm going to let one of you go back and you're going to get your younger brother and you're going to bring him to me. He's still playing games with him. Now look at what he says. And we don't have time to read it all, but let me look at it for yourself. But the rest of you are going to jail. I'm putting you in jail right now. You're a bunch of spies. I'm putting you in jail. So he throws his brothers in prison. I wondered this. I wonder if it was the same prison that he spent two years in. I wonder if he put them right there. And Joseph says, I tell you what, you're going to go back. One of you is going to, I'm throwing the rest of you in prison. What do you think is going on here? The harsh treatment, the, 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 the harsh way that he's speaking to them, the accusations, even the jail time. You know what seems to be happening? He's restaging that whole event that happened at the pit. I want you to think about that, right? They accused him of spying. If you'll look, you're spying for father on us. Now he's accusing them. They were rough with him. He's rough back with them. They threw him in a pit. He throws them in a dungeon. All of this is happening. He's reciprocating everything. Why is he doing all of this? It seems so out of character for Joseph. Do you know what I think really is going on? Here's what I think. I think he doesn't know what to do. 
I think this just has rocked his world and he is acting purely out of emotion and has not had a chance to think this through. He doesn't quite know. He faced the pit, he pressed through it. He, he, he faced temptation in Potiphar's house, he pressed through it. He faced the prison, he pressed through that. He's facing a famine and overcoming the famine. I mean, that's big stuff in this guy's life and he handled it all well. You know what I think? Here's what I think. There's never been anything that has challenged him like this. Now we're going to find out what Joseph is really made of. But remember, God's been getting him ready, hasn't he? All this time, God's been getting him ready. Here's something to write down, and this is going to hurt for some of you, is that perhaps the hardest thing in life is forgiving those who have hurt you from your past. I think that may be the hardest thing. You may think of something else, and I'm totally open to hearing that. But I think that when I look at Joseph's life, I think this was the biggest challenge he's ever faced. Is forgiving. Especially when you have the power. And you're in this place, right? When, when your family, especially when it's family that's involved, because family, with family, it's complicated. It's confusing. Does he hang them or does he trust them? Does he try to reconcile or does he seek vengeance? Does he let God sort all of this out or does he take control of the situation? What do you do? He's trying to figure this out is what I discovered this week because I I couldn't pack it all in. I'm like, he's not in the forgiving part yet. We're not going to be in the forgiving part today, by the way. You're going to have to hang in there for a couple weeks, so you got to come back. You got to come back or you're just going to be spiteful when you leave, okay? Here's the thing. It's, it's, it's not, when it's not dealt with, what, what I see is that it just has a way of just emerging at the most inopportune time. It just shows up. We've got to deal with these things, and then we're held hostage by our history, and some of you have been held hostage by your history and the wounds, and they're real wounds. They're real. We're not saying this, but I just want to point you in this direction today, and here is the hope. Jesus wants you free. He doesn't want you in that spite house. You're miserable in the spite house if that's where you're living. Listen to what Jesus said his purpose was. He said in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news. That's the gospel to those who are poor. That's poor in spirit. Those who are hurting, those that realize they need God. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be, what does it say? Released, released, that the blind will be able to see, say the next part with me, that the oppressed will be, what? Free. If you feel like you're a hostage to your past, that verse is for you. Amen? It's for you, it's for me. And and it's because he loves us. He came for freedom, certainly of our sin, without a doubt. But he also said, I've come to give you a full and abundant life. And you can't live it if you're in the spite house. You can't, right? He wants to make you whole. Not only just give you salvation, but God wants to restore you emotionally and heal your emotions. He wants to restore you spiritually. And, and this, is, this is what we see. Why would this be such an important thing? Why does this need to happen in our lives? What, what is this even in the Bible for? There are a few reasons as we finish this, okay? And here's what I want you to hear is because if you don't deal with it, you need to understand there is a generational effect. 
That's big. That if you don't deal with these things, there is a generational effect. There is a ripple effect that happens with generations coming behind you if you don't choose to begin to deal with some of the baggage. Today, it's just trying to ask God, do I have some stuff I haven't dealt with? We'll get to forgiveness in a couple weeks. But here is why this is big. The generational effect is this, is that wounded people often are prone to wound other people. You've probably heard it that way. Hurt people hurt people, okay? Um, they wound others. It's because people that are wounded, they're, they're intend, they intend to or typically can often lash out at others if they don't deal with their own. They have a tendency to pass those kinds of things even along to others especially those that are coming up behind us. Oftentimes, it's within our family. Some of you know this all too well. You were the one who was in the house, and you were the recipient of a parent's unresolved pain. And I say that, and this week when I thought that, my heart really ached for a lot of you. Again, I've been blessed with a good father and a, and a, and a godly mother and a godly dad, and, and they've loved me, but I know that I know that there are a number of people within our church that, that, that this hurts whenever we talk about this. And, and, and so it's this thing that has happened in your life and you've been wounded by them and, and maybe they never released resentments and so it kind of got projected onto you. And you've been dealing with that wound ever since. You're the one that paid for their hurts because they never dealt with it. And again, my heart aches for you today. And God wants you free of this. God wants this generational stuff and this curse to stop with you. Right? It stops. That's why he came. Was for it to stop. And it had to stop with someone and Joseph was the man. Here's the other thing. For the sake of your posterity, it has to stop. It has to stop. God allowed these things in Joseph's life because God had a bigger plan for saving all of Israel. But Joseph didn't really understand all of this yet. We have to remember, he was, God was blessing Joseph right now. Maybe you're being blessed right now, but God had not placed Joseph in Israel and blessed Joseph in, you know, there, or excuse me, placed him in, in, in Egypt for merely Joseph's personal benefit. God had a bigger plan. You know the story. He didn't get all this at this time, but think about it with me. He redeemed Joseph. He restored Joseph. He blessed Joseph so that Joseph could be a blessing to Israel. And that ultimately Israel, the lineage, would produce the Messiah, which was for us, right, in the whole world. But if he had not dealt with some of these things, the implications were huge. Do you see that? The posterity would have been affected. If he were to never seek to work through this baggage and reconcile, it just makes you wonder what would have happened to Israel. God was getting him ready. This plan of this salvation to move forward, God was going to do something in Joseph's life and bring him to a place of facing his past. He was going to have to deal with this. God redeemed him. God was restoring his heart by forcing him to deal with this. And I just want to say this to you. God wants to restore and redeem those areas of brokenness in you too. He wants to do that. 
where there's a legitimate emotional pain, baggage from your past, he can redeem. We'll see in this story even those painful things from your childhood where there are things that are broken there. He wants to heal those areas of your life. Do you know why? Because he just loves you. And he wants you free. And he wants your family uh, to experience the generational, the blessing there, right? He wanted them to be well God wants you to be the Joseph in your family, but you're going to see it's a process. You're going to see he struggled with it. It didn't happen instantly. He went back and forth over these two chapters here. He went back and forth. Here's the final thing right here as we close in prayer. Because of Jesus Christ, your past doesn't have to be your future. Your family's past doesn't have to be your future. Aren't you glad about that? He makes it possible. It can stop right here, right now with you. Exodus chapter 20, we don't have time to look at it. Look at it later, but it's where the Ten Commandments are given. It says that the sins of the fathers are often visited upon three to four generations afterwards. But to those who love and obey the Lord, it says he lavishes his unfailing love for a thousand generations. Do you hear that ripple effect? It's a ripple effect. If you keep reading the text, you'll see Joseph sends them back to Canaan. He continues to play games with them. He's messing with them. I really can relate to some of this, okay? And here's your application. This is it. Have you dealt with all the past hurts in your life? I'm not asking you to resolve them all right now. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you just to get still and quiet before God and say, God, I am open dealing with some of that stuff. Can we just pray together right now? Let's pray. Will you just begin to allow and even ask God to reveal and expose to you maybe historical hurts that haven't been dealt with. I don't want to just stir stuff up within you and just leave you on your way. Don't forget, you need to come back. But today your step is to say, God, I am, I am ready to begin dealing with some of this I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be a process. I know it may take time. I know it may not be very easy. But here is what I do believe. I do believe that you love me. And that your grace is sufficient. And I'm believing in faith right now. That you have the power to heal all the wounds in my past. God, I desire to begin that process today. Nobody else looking around, just a private moment. If you just say, Pastor Bart, will you just pray for me today? I'm struggling. I've got some stuff that I know that I need to deal with. Nobody else looking around, but just say, just pray for me. Just just lift your hands. I want to pray with you today. Let's just be a church that's real. We can get honest before God. Lift them up and let's just take it to God right now. Father, I thank you for the honesty. I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. I pray for these who are hurting today. I pray for these who are lifting their hands. Your hope is found in the gospel, Lord. Would you abundantly fill them with your grace and your joy? you begin to give them hope today that you're going to help them, Lord, move through with your grace some of these things that perhaps have even been holding them back. 
thank you for the story of Joseph. Lord, I pray for our, just the entirety of our church that we would be spiritually and emotionally healthy. We want to be well and whole for your glory so that we can be effective in moving into the future that you've called us to. We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.